Okay. All right, this is episode 48 of TGE, the podcast. Hope you're doing well. It's always nice to spend an hour or more or less every week oh, to hang with my friend Tyler. It's pretty much the only opportunity for us right now to catch up and have a conversation because, Tyler, you're so busy. But how are you, man? <laughs> Good. I'm going to explain my, my reaction of, oh, God, in the middle of you saying that. But first, I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. It's been really cool how the podcast is spreading, the people we're hearing back from, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of fun. And if you enjoy what you're hearing and you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe on whatever app you're listening to us on. Maybe it's Stitcher. Maybe it's Spotify. Maybe it's iTunes. It's wherever you're listening to this podcast. And likewise, you can tell a friend about the podcast. Spread the word more. We appreciate it. Oh, and you can ask your friend Siri to subscribe as well if you're on an iPhone. We are told and confirmed by Ross, which was cool. And let me just explain my oh god. Yeah, I'm busy, but you're busy too. Good good heavens, it's not just me. But yeah, when you said an hour or more, I think my reaction was, Oh god. We can't <laughs> I don't think I have an hour over an hour today. But it it is so fun to do that I can't uh yeah, I don't know what Well, there's what always a pre conversation, right? We've already talked for almost thirty minutes. Where <laughs> are you ready? No, I still need to get some water. I'll be right back and then we sort of ramp up to it and then eventually we'll sort of figure out what we could be discussing in the episode and uh, like the adventure story that usually happens at the beginning of the show. So it is an hour or more. Touche. And Sven is always better with timing than myself, even in editing. And to explain a little bit about today's pre-conversation, <laughs> most of it was me kind of taming you like a like this wild beast is how i take it you're like this caged animal ready to just eat the villagers and i'm like no sven no 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 hold on we're just we're just gonna go perform you don't need to attack the town that's not part of the show is that a fair read on it or, or no not from your perspective because no, we want to talk about tough yes tough love sorry that's what we want to talk about is it is that a fair read on it yeah i mean sure so your comment was, I wanted to like read another email that I got um, as part of an editing course that I did and somebody was asking for some feedback and then once I gave feedback, uh, I got some lip back. And so I'm like, let's talk <laughs> about this. What What is a good etiquette? And you're like, no, you shouldn't do this. <laughs> this is well, maybe not the right platform to discuss this. So that's well let's yeah. let's clarify because you just had another email and on a previous episode i cut out like a 15 minute chunk of you reading an entire back and forth of you savaging <laughs> someone by email and we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna say who and i think it's totally fair and valid and that's what we want to talk about today was the concept of tough love in learning and working with people and yeah sven's the the it is tough but it is also love when he does it but i the thinking was then sharing that with thousands of listeners would be maybe not the best way to hear your interaction with Sven being shared. At least that was my take on it. Although I do think it's valuable and interesting what, what came out of those email threads <laughs> that you read to me. Yeah, I always feel like there are some valuable lessons to to share when it comes to how how somebody comes across when they like submit to a job and how they 
phrase the submission and how do you come across generically? I, I get a lot of... We, we're doing well, an... Wait, let me just preface... Yeah, let me just preface something real quick. That if this was an email chain I've been on, we're we're not talking about you. Yeah. And there's been a lot. There's been a lot of these interactions, and so you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have exchanged emails with Sven. So this is really just more of a general thing, and we're and we're using the more extreme cases. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, there there are extremes <laughs> on both sides. There are some people that are doing. So I feel like everyone an amazing job listening who's contacted you in the last like month is probably like, oh crap, this is me. It's it's probably not you. No, it's not you. <laughs> it's not you. <laughs> um, <laughs> cut that out. Or not. So the, the, the number one thing is we're doing this editing boot camp in the course where people can actually apply for a real job where I'm working with a director who's looking for an editor. And this is an opportunity to, to bring some of the students into the fold, into the, like the real world. And 50% of the submissions when they introduce themselves or when they talk about why they want to do this project, they come from a place of their own. Like they're talking about how this is going to be a great experience for them, how this is going to benefit them, all this kind of stuff. That doesn't really convince the director to want to consider them because they want to hear how this is going to uh, better the project very like specific original point of view of an editor can really help elevate a film so when when i then give feedback on these submissions I'm, i'll be pretty blunt and say just just f focus more on the project and focus less on how this is going to benefit you so that's tough love for me and i'll, I'll say it in a <laughs> way that it's very very apparent well, it's all it's all very valuable, but I, I think that there's something too, and I guess it's it's not so much that I feel like you're the way you come across is is unfair or mean or anything like that. I just I just felt like sharing it, right? You know, then with everyone would then make it feel mean. But that said, yeah, if anyone's ever interested in having their I don't know interactions with Sven or something shared that they've had through the class, just let him know i guess in the email let us know if we can share it on the podcast how's that or if you would like to yeah or if you if you learn something specific from him let let him know and you know it's an experience that you think would be good to be shared like we we would like consent in doing that and <laughs> would maybe ask because a lot of good stuff comes out of it and he's always telling me about it but i always think it's tricky to to share that stuff when it's all about it's all, always about a positive outcome yeah that said what do you have to say about tough love? I think that's something people have to get used to because you're always a reasonable person who's giving fair and measured feedback yeah. in notes, whatever it is. But I think I feel like when people are starting out, they have a hard time hearing it. I don't know getting feedback or notes on anything. I you know obviously I see it with students all the time. Yes, personally. What's your advice for that? Advice for what? Taking things personally or not taking them personally. Okay, I missed that part. Yes. Um, well, it's something that you obviously need to learn and understand. At the beginning, I, it tends to be that people feel the need to justify why they made certain decisions. So when they ask for feedback and then they get the feedback that is maybe constructive but yet negative, then they feel the need to say, well, but there's a reason why I did it this way. 
And that comes across mm-hmm. to me as yeah. you being a little bit difficult. I'm, it's not really, I'm not really interested in understanding why you did certain things. I'm more interested to share with you um, how it comes across. And then you do with it what you want to do. And this tough love idea is something that I've experienced in my career early on. I worked with James Cameron. So I got it pretty hard and it took me a couple of weeks to grow a thick skin. But I feel like a lot of people don't have a thick skin. And then I also mm-hmm. had an amazing uh, teach writing teacher, John, and he his course is actually called Tough Love, Tough Love Screenwriting or something. <laughs> and so when he, was this? Um, this was not too long ago, just a couple of years ago, maybe. And it was okay. so helpful for my editing, actually to to focus on Ooh. screenwriting for a while and then really get it get it full force and that again I, I think was more helpful than somebody who's very diplomatic about feedback and so on as long as the feedback itself is valid i think that's what matters and if you can get it directly and straight then that's even better right and most of the process is finding things that can be improved that's yeah. what people are generally looking for when they're watching something. And the more you do it, the more you get used to it. And it's almost just as bad to give someone something for feedback and have them not point out problems because they don't want to hurt your feelings or have you take it personally, which is trouble. I mean, once you've done it for long enough, whatever it is, editing, writing, et cetera, et cetera, it's like you're kind of looking for feedback so that you can you can just get it to that certain point when it's when it's done and the flaws aren't there so people are looking for flaws when they're giving you notes just get used to it don't take it personally totally yeah, and don't feel the need to explain right and where's the line get drawn for explaining because i feel like there's a balance there where you know if someone's saying like okay we need a close up here and you say well let me explain no one shot a close up <laughs> that seems valid right so where's the like where's the balance of over explaining when it comes about trying to justify your place in the world when it comes to justifying why you made a certain decision the way that you made it or explaining your process i mean yes if there's some some real truth like i don't have a close up definitely you can say that i don't have the sure i wish we could cut to a close up but we don't have it but let's say you didn't cut to the close-up. And the director says, I really need a moment here. Can we cut to a close-up? I think the response should not be, well, I thought about this, but it didn't really work, or I didn't even try it because I felt like the white shot really shows this part of the thing. I think the appropriate response should always be, let me take a look, or let's take a look. Let's put it in, let's try it. And then if it works, you say, this is... You know what? This works. This is a good call. And if it doesn't work, the director will hopefully recognize this and make that decision and say, you know what? You're right. This doesn't work. Let him give you the affirmation and say, well, your thought process, where you put that white shot in, whatever it is, um, it makes sense to me now. But what about from the perspective of an editor? Yes. Like you're saying that you're giving people feedback. Um, what, what, like what's the scenario for that? Like you're talking about an assistant editor or a student or? Well, you should always put yourself in the position of your client first. So whatever you communicate, keep your client in mind. So 
when you're sitting with a director, for example, and you're having a discussion, is what you're contributing to that discussion, is that there to explain your position or is it there to further the director's vision? And once you sort of figure it out, that it's not really about what you think. It's more about trying to get the director to a point of view where he or she can find the best film possible. Your The way that you respond, the way that you um, have a creative discussion and talk about these, like the feedback, it, it just changes. Right. And it's no matter what you are, how high you are in the totem pole, it's always going to... It's a, it's just a difficult balance to find because sometimes you have a project and you're in front of a network exec, yeah, you know, and you you have to you're in, in a position where you actually have to creatively protect a thing because you know that it's right, yeah. That's that's tricky, but I yeah, think it's I mean, safe you to will, say when you you're have those moments where you feel like you need to protect the film, but you to be able to have that power as an editor or that privilege you need to have a lot of goodwill established beforehand. And then right. you, and can, you, you can sort of draw from that goodwill, take out some money and you, put it down on the table. Right. And I think if you are on the receiving end of anything, whether it's employment or you're an employee or something else, just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Most of the time, shut the fuck up <laughs> is the best advice. <laughs> Don't say anything. And I say it. Yeah, and I say it to myself all the time. I feel like that's something yeah, I've I've really been working on too because obviously I'm a I'm a chatterbox. Yeah. who can talk at end and explain give you your options endlessly like okay, cool, yeah, well we did this, but here's the other options. Um yeah. and yeah, it's it's a, it's a weight off. You don't need that. Everyone has good faith in you. If they hired you, if they brought you in, it's because you already have the goodwill. So yeah. if they have a problem with something, they don't have a problem with you. They just have a problem with the cut because it's a process and it's not going to be perfect coming out of the gate. If you make the same mistake three times, that's a different thing. But the other thing is a lot of people you know, will get a really important job or a really cool gig and they'll make a mistake and it feels like, oh no, it's the end of the world. And it's like, okay, well, have you made that mistake before? No. Okay, good. That's part of the learning process. Don't make it again because then, then people will start to become irritated. But I think making one mistake, as stressful it is, especially when you're starting out to, to do, uh, but just you know, try to take a little bit of the weight and pressure off yourself that it's not going to be the end of the world. Failure is how you succeed and you have the good faith of the people employing you. You just don't want to keep remaking mistakes. Yeah, and don't dwell on failure. Should we do a little setup here for, for Wet Hot? All right, so when was the first time you saw Wet Hot American Summer? Probably in 2001, right? It was a little bit after. It was definitely something that I found on, I remember watching distinctly on videotape, maybe DVD, but it felt very VHS-y. But also looking back at it now, it was weird watching it because, geez, at the time it seemed so dated, and now it's almost like the line's kind of getting blurred, which I think would be a dangerous thing where it's like, did they film this in the 80s? Yeah. In a way, it feels <laughs> it's like it's... And then you kind of remember, like, oh, right. Yeah, no, that was a long time ago. I, j I just saw it yesterday again with the family. And surprisingly, it was very watch watchable to my kids. And you know why, oh, cool. why that is? Because it has a thing on Netflix now? Or because Stranger Things? Stranger Things. That's what it is. <laughs> they <laughs> now shit. think the 80s are cool. And yeah. 
So they they loved watching even I mean it looks it looks like it was shot in the eighties. It wasn't two thousand and one, but it kind of looks dated. Right. And yeah. they just it, loved it. They embraced it. And the humor too. Yeah. And it, it too, and I know from being alive in two thousand one it was very different than the eighties, but now it kinda of, everything just kinda of becomes this smear. But different time periods, like I feel like it's always been kinda of easy to hang hang a label on an 80s project and be like cool this has an 80s feel i feel like yeah. i think it's like the 90s is like a little trickier i think and obviously it takes a little time i feel like it takes a little you know a few i'm not even sure what the period of time is maybe it's a few decades before it's like oh right that was like when you're living in it you don't really realize what it is and then it becomes crystallized and i don't know it seems like people are doing it more and more now um i remember seeing into the wild the sean penn film yeah. and just thinking oh wow they really 90s it but what does that even mean and then i mean stranger things is very derivative whereas this is i think a little more i mean there's a few things a few projects i've seen that that kind of just really kind of wear the eight and this this wears the 80s in a very different way than stranger things yeah well this has like an over-the-top feel of the 80s like they're making fun of it the hairstyles are just ridiculous but yeah. i feel like it's it feels the same as stranger things because when i look at that it also feels fake to me even though that's probably uh -huh. not their intent is that your experience do you feel like you like you look at the wardrobe and the production design and the hairstyle and you think oh that's how it was back then or it feels more I like I feel it. like there was a there was a screen there was a there was a screenshot of a thumbnail of Paul Rudd before I clicked play and I saw his hair and was like just was like oh look how he looked fucking weird in the 80s and then was like oh wait right that's the whole thing they did for this movie yeah. um I I think that Stranger Things is in this third season much more kind of having fun with it Mm -hmm. having fun with like the excess of the 80s which this movie does a lot more yeah. obviously I, i think in in the first two seasons of stranger things it was just way more derivative and it was it was more like sentimental because you know it had it was just like knocking off all those sentimental movies uh, you yeah. know as, as a tribute piece whereas the third season i think like they had way more fun with it and the budget and everything and okay, i like that, that. i like mocking stuff and i The, the point I meant to make about the 80s was that I feel like you could make an 80s movie in like 1990. Like the minute the 80s ended, it just made sense. And I don't know. I'm thinking, was that the case in the 20s? Like in 1930? I think it, it may well have been. But I just feel some decades are better defined. Um, yeah. So my reaction to this was like, oh, funny 80s movie. And now it's weird that they found a way to cycle back through a faux 80s show for, <laughs> for a new generation of 80s fans, which is cool. Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm not following the show, Stranger Things, but I've dipped into an episode in the first season. I dipped into an episode now in the third season. And that you mentioned now they're having more fun with it is maybe why it matches with Wet Hot American Summer in terms of what it looks like and feels like a lot more. And so mm -hmm. that's why it translate, translated. Right. And especially, of course, you know, with TV, it's like utopia becomes dystopia or vice versa. You start a character bottom, move them to the top <laughs> or, you know, so at the beginning of Stranger Things, like everything's great and groovy and they're just having a lot of fun, mostly for the first couple episodes. So it does echo uh, wet, hot American summer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, should we set it up a little bit for the listeners who haven't seen it? 
I almost haven't yeah, seen it. I actually wait. only caught it once it came on Netflix with the series. And then I tracked back and watched the whole thing. I was obsessed. Well, it wasn't a series. It was a movie that was made in 2001 and then was remade <laughs> with the same cast. I mean, obviously not remade, but they just did the next day or the day before. Yeah, the they prequel. Did, I think one of... Right. Yeah, they did 20 years... Actual 20 years later. And then they did like the next day or the first day of camp. So it was them 20 years older doing like events that preceded the original movie yeah so talk about really needing to be in touch with the original to get on board that film um, it, so it's cool that like your you know your daughters are into it did they laugh throughout there's a couple scenes i would be alarmed to watch with my children in this <laughs> yeah we're, 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 <laughs> we're european so we don't have any any problem with oh. <laughs> language or sexual <laughs> connotations that's like all good so my daughter is what 17 now the other one didn't watch it just one of them and she uh, okay she was pretty on board i have to admit my wife was more into it she actually wanted wow. to finish it then later on my my daughter sort of wore out halfway into the episode she's like okay i'm ready to move on but she enjoyed right. herself after that you point. keep calling it an episode but well <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, so, yeah true. you're so netflixed True, true. Um, but here's what I'm reading. By by the way, that 2015 thing is classified as an eight episode prequel series, and then oh, 2017 right. is an eight episode sequel series. So I don't know if they made a feature that then became an eight episode prequel, or it just already was planned as a eight episode prequel. But that's the first thing that I saw just a few years ago. And if yeah, and if you ask Sven, the original might well be a series. So who knows? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to re it's hard to tell on Netflix because I definitely watched with this with this just you know with just like the impact of this thing coming back and like the excitement surrounding it. I definitely just watched it all the way through, regardless of whether it stopped and threw up a Netflix logo every thirty minutes or not. Yeah, and then so when I watched you're it like a feature done with all of that, there was also a behind the scenes documentary that was really cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good documentary. Because the other thing about this thing is that Stranger Things is like paying tribute to a lot of things that we kind of saw through media in the 80s. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this happened in this movie. This was these commercials. This is the mall. Like, it's very commerce-based, I feel like. Whereas this, I think a lot of the fun in it was people that really lived through the 80s that were the kids yeah. that are now in the, sh in the movie that are now playing the adults, you know, like the wacky camp counselors we all had. So it's, a, it's weird. It is like a mockery of the 80s, but it's also like an authentic kind of window into the 80s in a weird way. Yeah. And, and all also, those great comedies, of course, also. Also, the documentary in itself shows that the filmmaking itself was kind of like summer camp, that they were oh, yeah, all so stuck together and bonded and had these intense relationships while they were making the film. Let me talk a little bit about the plot. In 1981, Camp Firewood, a summer camp located near Waterville, Maine is preparing for its last day of camp. Counselors have one last chance to have a romantic encounter with another person at Camp Firewood. The summer culminates in a talent show. The camp director struggles to keep her counselors in order and her campers alive while falling in love with Henry, an astrophysics associate professor at Colby College. Henry has to devise a plan to save the camp from a piece of NASA Skylab, which is falling to Earth. It is a satirical comedy directed by David Wayne from a screenplay written by Wayne and Michael Showalter. Showalter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Directed by David Wayne from a screenplay written by Wayne and Michael Showalter. 
The film yes. features an ensemble cast including Janine Garofalo, David Hyde Pierce, Molly Shannon, Paul Rudd, Christopher Maloney, Michael Showalter, and various other members of the MTV sketch comedy group The State. Yeah. Elizabeth Banks, Good, I was mention Ken that. Marino, Michael Ian Black, and Bradley Cooper in his film debut. Amy Poehler, Zach Orth, and yep. A.D. Miles. Yeah, the film takes place during Mo- the last Molly day Shannon, of a fictional Paul summer Paul Rudd, camp. Elizabeth Banks, did you say that? Yes, I did. Who is now directing Pitch Perfect 2 and, was it 3 as well? And Charlie's Angels. Yeah, she's now a big-time director. Um, And star. The film takes place during the last full day at a fictional summer camp in 1981 and spoofs the sex comedies aimed at teen audiences of that era. The film was critically and commercially a failure, but has since developed a cult following. As many of its cast members have gone to high-profile work... Netflix revived the franchise with the release of an eight-episode prequel series starring most of the film's original cast on July 31st, 2015. And then, an eight-episode sequel series set ten years later after the original film on August 4th, 2017. So what's what's really confusing, mm. when I saw the eighth-episode prequel, they were all old <laughs> playing right. young kids. Well, they leaders. were their current ages. They were older. Older. But they were playing <laughs> young camp leaders, and it took me a minute to figure out what is going on. And then I saw the original, right. and then I'm like, oh, that's what's up. This is brilliant. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So you wanted to watch it in order, and you <laughs> hung through, because that's the, that's the thing about this movie that I find. I, it's a weird movie in that it's kind of like a, like a mixtape or like a weird album that you'll throw on. Like, I've definitely shown it to more people. I feel like than any other movie just to get a read on them. And I don't do it that often, yeah. but it's definitely happened a couple of times, not even to get a read on them, but it's like talking about funny movies. And it's like, this was like, Oh, you've never seen, cause this was the one everyone would talk about. It was like a cult hit. Like, Oh, you haven't seen that. Like you have to see it. And so, yeah, some people do not get on board or they're just not in the mood to get on board. And it's like, we should stop this cause it's going to get painful for you. Yeah. Whereas if someone clicks in and they're onto it right away, it's like a really fun thing to watch with people. Yeah. So I had maybe a very Sorry. unconventional way of experiencing this, but it was it 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 added to the experience. Um, well, that's the fun to me is how hard because how odd and culty the movie was in the first place, and that they doubled down so hard when it was going to be on this huge like platform with billions of subscribers or whatever yeah. that they were like, all right, like let's not make this easy on anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> any potential new fans are just going to take get stiffed hard. Totally, on. it's a brilliant move. I mean, the obvious move would have been the ten-year reunion, right? And that I don't know what would would have happened. Right. Yeah. Might have killed right. the the franchise. But anyway, I think it's noteworthy to mention that the film uh, took three years to assemble. The budget was re- was one point eight million, but during the Sundance Film Festival, they pretended it was five million in an attempt to <laughs> get a better offer from distributors. <laughs> because of the film's relatively small budget, the cast was paid very little. Paul Rudd has stated that he's uncertain that he received any compensation at all for the film. <laughs> <laughs> and he's hilarious in it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's amazing also this cast, like what they've gone on to. Like you're saying, like Elizabeth Banks is like a huge star and a you know, big-time director now. And uh, I mean, Paul Rudd is... Uh, Ant-Man in a huge Marvel movie. Bradley Cooper is Rocket Raccoon in a Marvel movie. Yeah. I mean, they've all gone on to uh, <laughs> t- 
to great things. I mean, Amy Poehler's career. I mean, it's 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 very cool. But they already had some huge names in there, like Molly Shannon and David Hyde Pierce. Yeah, th- I remember at the time David Hyde Pierce was like the draw for me in watching. And of course, like I was familiar with the state because I was obviously like hugely influential, and like they were kind of like like the the Beatles of you know that era of comedy, kind of. Yeah at the time so it was cool and now they're all like all big shots they got they got the big shows they got uh you know the good place going on they all you know david wayne's doing a lot of cool stuff have you have you come across his youtube channel i haven't seen the youtube channel but he went on to you know like children's hospital which is another like insane amazing culty thing yeah Um, no i saw his youtube channel unrelated to this and i'm like i can't believe how good this the comedy is and then I had to like do a little research and realize, oh, this is a this is a pro. This is not just a dude. He because he comes across as just a dude <laughs> doing a YouTube channel. <laughs> it's the great, and it's the great mystique. But yeah, they had that movie, The Ten. Like you know, Role Models is a huge movie. Cool stuff. All right, so Tyler, you picked a scene. What we usually do in this podcast, and we're going to do it today, is we're going to look at a specific scene and see if we can pick up on some brilliant filmmaking, maybe some great editing and hopefully inspire us to become better filmmakers or appreciators of the cinematic art form. Wow, how pretentious. So here we go. What what we do is we have a link in the description of the podcast, and this is publicly available on YouTube. And you can watch along as we look at at it for the first time, describe what's going on. It's kind of like an audiobook, so you don't really have to bring up your YouTube and watch along. You can just listen in. We'll go back and look at some specifics afterwards. Yeah, to set this scene up, Ken Marino's character has gone rogue and they're trying to track him down and Joe Latruglio is deciding that he's going to go chase him down and we have an 80s chase scene that we're going to look at. All right, here we go. We're counting it down. In three, two, one, click. I want Victor back. Yeah, we all want him back, Sammy, but he's not coming back. So we're on a river. You know, rubber boat. <laughs> Fine, you're right. I'll find the son of a gun. I'll bring him back here if it's the last thing I do, dead or alive. This is an amazing coordination here. This shot right there, he's jumping off the boat. He's steadying himself on a rock and then... The camera pans over as he runs to a motorbike that's just <laughs> at the riverbank. He gets on it. So unexpected. <laughs> fires up. I, I wonder how many times I tried this shot. Who knows? Okay, so we're cutting to... <laughs> Conveniently waiting by the road, like no wasted time. Ken Marino <laughs> sees the bike. He starts running. Knows to start running. <laughs> Okay, we'll pan out from the <laughs> motorbike as um, Joe is following him. This whole sequence <laughs> is shot very interestingly, I thought. Um, I think we're going to figure out how this was done. It's a profile yeah. shot of them as they're running. It's a white shot, and there was like <laughs> a, a rabbit just sort of casually <laughs> running across the street. A little dissolve, and there's no... <laughs> Okay, Ken um, is facing a hay ball in the middle of the street. He doesn't know what to do. So he's like, okay, figuring it out. He's jumping over it. Brilliant. <laughs> and then it completely stops the motorbike. Guy's like, damn it, I can't cross this. <laughs> and that's also the, chase. The, thing I, the thing I laugh at in that too is uh, 
like the how aggressively that's a stunt double that yes. can't yes it, it uh but yeah i mean it's just a fun example of kind of doing something with nothing which is what we talk about sometimes yeah and pushing um, pushing a comedy style that i think is pretty unique right I mean, it, it's yeah, kind it's of so like unique. naked gun but it's not how would you describe this I don't know. That's what I've been trying to figure out since 2003, Sven. Yeah. No idea. There's been a Netflix <laughs> reboot. There's been, you know, it just can't, I just can't crack it. But yeah, it's a totally unique, and that's the thing with that comedy group like The State, um, that they just have their own feel. And just then kind of throwing that into the 80s blender was resulted in a lot of fun stuff. But I like, because we talk so much, you know, about filmmaking here, I thought it was a good clip because it's it's dependent very much on an understanding of cinema and an understanding of the tropes of it, even like we talked about in the Nicholas Winding Refn show, mm-hmm. which I totally forget the name of now. <laughs> Too old to die young. Yes. Right. It's, it's veering and it's doing wild things again, eighties inspired, but you have to really kind of have a command of the craft to kind of horse with it in this way and kind of taking all those eighties tropes and playing with them and, a way that serves comedy very well and is just making a lot of fun out of really, really nothing. I mean, you have a character on a motorcycle and you have a guy running and it's one street and what can you do with that? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, it's it's great when you when you can tell stories with like the little things you have and make it unique and interesting and feel almost big. And this is this is great filmmaking. I wish I, I had that talent to do that. Well, also the the idea like I hadn't even like really noticed it. It's funny when you when I when I watched it and then rewatched it. That whole raft shot of him, the actual actor getting out of the moving raft, yes. running up with the panning camera, and you're in the motorcycles just there. There's a lot of ways to kind of go for that with the editing, and it just kind of has to happen in that shot for the joke to work. So it's really yeah. like just perfectly mapped out and totally unexpected that that's how that shot's going to end there's a couple people like just in a river on a raft it's like nope there's a tent there's a motorcycle those first two shots should must probably be the most difficult shots in this entire sequence i feel like so oh yeah the camera is like they the actors have to like kind of navigate this boat in a way that it stays in the shot maybe it's even on ropes i'm not sure i mean it looks like it's moving Oh, it is getting dragged, yeah. Naturally. But then the next shot, the way that he jumps out of the boat, steadies himself on this rock. They must have choreographed this this point. Because without the rock, I don't know if he could pull this off. And then pan over to the motorbike. (laughs) is. uh, I mean, it looks like you can do 20 takes on this and something will go wrong and you have to reset and do it again. Do it again. It's so... Ed, you're yeah, relying on so many it. things to work out perfectly in that shot. Yeah, and talk about a bitch to reset. Good lord. <laughs> yeah. But I can just see in script form how that's funny. Like a motorcycle is perfectly sitting on the bank, but to kind of execute it in a single. And maybe, who knows, maybe it, they didn't plan on, they just needed to get a master and it was like, oh shit, this, <laughs> I don't know. It seems too perfect. Yeah. We'll, but we'll at least, know. at least they made it a little bit easier on them because you don't actually see him fire up the bike and drive off i mean they just added the sound effect is what i'm assuming that he starts up the machine (laughs) and they don't have to show him drive off because if you add that element to the shot as well then you're really in hell 
because then you have to move the oh, bike back and, and he has to actually fire it up on the first time because you, the timing has to be for perfect like you can't wait for it just has to flow yeah as we said you never you know with this stuff you never know it could be that they pained over that for like an entire day of shooting and then in the editing was like oh god you know what it works better for him not to leave the frame yeah <laughs> okay so then we move but you're on totally right to ken marino we'll cut to the bike the wide shot he's coming down the road ken starts running I think the next interesting thing is all these shots that we see now, starting with 48, I'm pretty sure we're on some form of process trailer. So the bike is actually right. um, on on like a flatbed being pulled. The actor, yeah. Joe, is not driving at all. I don't think he's <laughs> ever driving this bike in this. Huh. Then in at 56... <laughs> look at what we see in the background. Does that look well, like how, a bike? If, but if he's on a trailer, how is it, how are they doing the running? Um, that's probably that's probably with a car. Like they just grabbed a shot out of a car. Or you're saying is he on the bike on 56? What do you mean? No, 56. We have a shot of Ken um, as he's running. Right. I think yeah. he's on the street right there because this shot starts off at 53 with his feet. Yeah, with his feet on so the street. Yeah. This is a camera guy either hanging out of a pickup truck or maybe it's a little bit more of a <laughs> just process Super vehicle. low budget. Right. Hey, they had $5 million. Yeah. Um, so but, <laughs> but freeze it at 56. What do you see in the background? Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. That, But I think that's not, that's not like supposed to be like, oh, well, I can't believe we... we I don't think that's supposed to be an Easter egg. I think that's part of the joke is that none of this, the, the <clears throat> three-dimensional continuity doesn't match at all through this whole thing, which I yeah. think is part of the fun. Yeah. And especially in terms of editing, just like totally butchering that, to, like literally making jokes out of editing and the way that audiences process cinema, I think is like kind of like a weirdly advanced thing to do. And obviously people have done it, um, but it does kind of, I think what is what kind of made this like a cult movie you know, it's like you have to have a certain experience with movies to be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. They don't care. Ah. Yeah. Well, just to answer the question myself, what I see in the background out of focus, I think is the process trailer. Uh, I, I don't, I'm mm. not seeing a bike. I'm seeing like a, a moving box that looks like a truck of some sort. <clears throat> right. I thought that was a sign or something. But yeah, I, yeah, you're totally right. Sorry. I thought, wait, where do you, where? 56. No, but where in the frame? And so you see Ken Marino in the foreground, and then out of focus along the street on the right-hand side, you see this this boxy thing. That thing? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's in both shots. I don't think that thing's moving. At least it's not in the later shot. You think that's a clear? Oh, and you think that's the process trailer? Possibly. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what, what else is funny? Is it they cross the intersection and they go back to that exact same shot? Is funny too. Yeah, maybe he's it's like, just it's a, a little further down the road. Yeah, maybe there could be nothing. a sign. Maybe it's just. I think a, it's a sign or something. Yeah, possibly. Or it's just like... Because go to 106, and that's funny because after that big like road cross you know, with the rabbit, it just goes back to the same shot, which is playing with the idea too, which is funny. Yeah, 101, wide shot profile. He's running down a, tr- a T-crossing and the rabbit in the front. So I can just sense the, the animal wrangler just <laughs> right out of the shot. Oh, just God. Like tossing the rabbit into the shot. Um <laughs> Well, what's funny is that there's so much, like there's so many, they, they cheated 
ob- like in a way that's not cheating because it's just having fun with it yeah. of like obviously showing the stuntman like the like you're saying like the way it's driving like cheating the fact that they're just going back to the same shot of Marino running yeah but then I feel like the two things that you don't that you do get a laugh out of but don't appreciate at all like the jumping out of the raft and then the rabbit shot I feel like we're actually like oh god these little jokes took forever to get right um yeah which is hilarious and all all the stuff that should take forever was very easy because they were like having fun with it yeah so then at 104 we have the uh, medium close-up of joe as he's like trying to grab ken the camera pans a little up and then you will cut to 106 and the relationship is completely (laughs) off again it feels like in oh, that yeah. first shot, they're like four feet apart. In this shot, it looks like they are <laughs> 200 feet apart, if even. Like, you don't see the motorbike at all. Yeah, he's not, the motorbike's not even in this shot, which is funny. Yeah. And it also makes me feel like this is a place where maybe the editor... <clears throat> it could be that this was part of the design. Or yeah. it was like, look, let's just shoot a bunch of stuff and cut it together funny. But this is definitely a place where this could have clearly been an editor. editor. Like, oh, wait, let's let's recycle back to this and that'll be funny, and that'll add to it, et cetera, et cetera. Totally. 108, my favorite shot. We're panning from the bike to Ken walking, so now we have a relationship between them. This is like they're six feet apart, and look how high Ken is running. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so both of them are on the process trailer, and I would... I'm, I'm thinking... Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah, you're right. Not only is, is he on the trailer, but there <laughs> oh, is he's a totally treadmill. running in place, yeah. So he's standing on right. a treadmill running. I mean, they didn't really have five million. It looks like he's in just running in place, which is hilarious to me. Yeah. But, I mean, he's so when much I'm Looking higher. at it again, it just seems like he's just moving his arms and not... He's like speed walking too, which is hilarious. Yeah, and then they dissolve one. There was no treadmill on. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say right now, there's no way they bothered with a treadmill. Oh, uh, I want to. I want to know from David whether there's a treadmill oh, or wow. not, because he's so much higher. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What, why is he so high? <laughs> and he's a tall guy. And then one eleven, we just dissolve to another running shot of him. Oh, no. <laughs> We're just going back and forth. We're still on the process trailer. Yeah, exactly. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it's just the same. And this, um, yeah, it's just hilarious. It's and funny because we're dissecting this like it's Citizen Kane. Yeah, 117, <laughs> we have a white shot. He's running towards camera. The hay bale is in the foreground. And again, the relationships are completely off. It's again like 200 feet between the bike and him as opposed to six feet. Yeah. And then, okay, that's um, a joke I on its to... own with a bail. Like, what do I do? Jump I over. need to prevent us from going to editing hell real quick. Kay. Because, again, somehow we didn't mention who the editor of this film was. Okay, very good. Because <laughs> this is our, our, our thing, our problem that we never do. Um, and the editor was Meg Redeker. Uh-huh. And who has done all kinds of great stuff. I mean, worked with this team a lot and done a lot of great comedies. Currently working on High Maintenance, which is an incredible show. If anyone hasn't seen that in terms of like 
kind of redefining style and new characters every episode. I mean, that's that shows like an, an amazing accomplishment. But then also, yeah. you know, big change of pace with the looming tower, which you know, comedy is tragedy, but I don't think it applies in the path to nine eleven. Yeah, um, true detective. Also. Done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, true detective. Uh, Blunt talk Kimmy and Schmidt, Thirty Rock. Yeah, then the. Yeah, Bored to Death, another HBO show, Big Love. So clearly this is an editor who has a lot of ability on both sides of it. But actually, yeah, now thinking about it, it seems like much more has done, like a lot more dramatic stuff. So it's interesting that this is kind of uh, one of the early films because it's such a wild, like undefinable comedy. The Wire. <laughs> We've done The Wire after this. That's so. That's amazing. Okay, sorry. So sorry, Sven. I had to interject that because this is obviously the editor. The editing process was so instrumental to this. So it's good to kind of contextualize it. So yes, the hay bale moment, the infamous, the equivalent of rosebud, but a hay bale. Yeah. What uh, What do we got to say about this? Because it's playing with the whole idea of like just all action movies are such bullshit. Yeah. Anyways, in terms of the obstacles, and especially like the escape moment, where like the points the chase scenes end at are always so like increasingly ridiculous. Where it's like, really, just after everything you just went through, you can't get back on the fucking horse, like whatever. So I, I appreciated the way they played with that in this. I did too. Uh, I also appreciated how the the hair dude of the stuntman just keeps changing. <laughs> throughout these cuts right. <laughs> so in shot 131 yeah. if you freeze that the hair is like all standing up and it's all weird and if you go right. forward 129 it's kind of more flat but then if you actually cut to the actor <laughs> himself it's completely different hairstyle <laughs> and the cutting at one from 128 to one. 30 like that's perfectly designed as a moment where you go back to the actor so the fact that they left the stunt double in is just like extra hilarious yeah and i'm such a dumbass i literally when they were doing the the chase like where he was reaching out and stuff i was like well i guess they had the fact that joe latriglio could rock ride a motorcycle on their hands didn't even notice that yeah he never leaves the frame in the motorcycle he's never actually driving it there's a stuntman joke i'll just believe anything sven yeah, I'm Even sure the movie tells me otherwise. There's two reasons for it. One is the actor can't ride a bike, and the second is insurance-wise, you can't have him ride a bike. You got to get a stuntman for any of that. Right. And one other thing I wonder if it was like a secret pain in the ass was how damaged the hay bale would get. Uh-huh. Cuz you know as he kind of crashes into it, like that could be a pain in the ass to like replace and sweep up and stuff like that. Didn't cross my mind. Any thoughts on this rabbit shot? We know you're a rabbit guy. Um, yeah, it's cute. It just adds a little chuckle. <laughs> and this this whole sequence has a lot of like little chuckles, and it culminates in the hay bell where it gets really ridiculous. So yeah, I thought it it worked, and I appreciate that it's not that long. It's um, it's about a minute and a half, and just gives us a little little comedy relief. In in the film, I mean, it's it's peppered throughout that they have these little tangents they go off on. Right. Um, I mean, it's all just comedy scenes. Yeah. Bang, 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 bang. But there's there's a storyline, right? I mean, I'm really tracking yeah, according story to Wikipedia throughout the entire. Yeah, of course. T- the entire piece. It doesn't just feel like one sketch after another. It feels like this is all working towards <clears throat> something. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of interlocking pieces. It's it's very very well done. 
Yeah. I, I, I really feel like that shot of him jumping out of the boat is just an incredible shot to pull off. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny every time. Yeah. In terms of just like the way it ends, like it's everything you need to know about everything. Like when they talk about things that need to happen in a shot from beginning to end. Yeah. Like it clearly happens. It looks like nothing, but it's, I can, I can sense this was difficult. <laughs> and maybe yeah, it wasn't. It maybe they were like, oh, point. we just did it. It just worked out that way. <laughs> we'll never know. The mysteries will never reveal themselves. There All we go. right. Yeah. So that's, that's one way to do summer. We should have done this over the 4th. Um, if you enjoy what you're hearing, if you have thoughts, if you have a take on this, if you have reactions to the Netflix episodes or the original film, what's your experience watching it? Did it make sense to you? Were you able to get on board the first time you watched it? Did you have to cycle back through? Did it lose its humor the second time you watched it? What? <laughs> Jesus. Whatever that might be, just just let us know. I went to it as a David Hyde Pierce fan, familiar with the state, Michael Ian Black, et cetera, et cetera, David Wayne. Perhaps you went to it as a fan of Bradley Cooper or Elizabeth Banks. Who knows? Let us know your experience with this odd, this oddity. And you let us know where, Sven? We're going to do it on Twitter. Just hit me up on no at this guy edits, and I'll collect all those questions, comments, and hopefully we can read some of those in the next podcast and i'll update you whether my kids i was able to get them to actually now watch the sequel the prequel first then the sequel and see if they stick with it and maybe say hey this is cool this is like uh, even better than stranger things (laughs) (laughs) and then likewise if that will move you into the other work by this group who've all gone on to tons of different cool projects, appeared in all kinds of great things, created a ton of great things. Yeah, maybe you'll check out Futile and Stupid Gesture, the Will Forte project that David Wayne did that's on Netflix that I think is getting a lot of similar reaction to this when it first came out. And maybe we'll talk about it in a few weeks. If you enjoy what you're hearing, let a friend know. Subscribe to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you to Kurta for the music. Check out his new album. And as Fen always says, Happy editing. your head between the speakers there's no sane zone so put your head between the speakers i'm wondering if very it's a cool woman. well it's i kind of avoided that by not using a pronoun you did but <laughs> yeah uh, let's see if i can it's a woman okay <laughs> i'm still not putting this in at all well you did um, say and of course like it's her, he that's why i brought it up i'm sorry no i did not say he well, i said they it? the person Okay. Um, well, either way, well, we'll say ourselves. So yeah. So again, and also like yes, an- like another great female editor. So <laughs> rock on. That'll be deleted.